Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I guess most of you know the story of Isaac and Abraham, how he was sacrificed. Frankly, it's pretty barbaric, isn't it? Quite hard to enter into the customs of that time. It wasn't unprecedented for fathers to offer their firstborn child to kill it, to kill him, I should say. It was different if it was a daughter. And there's a great tradition that carried on that says the firstborn belongs to the Lord. And gradually, it was all too gradual, that tradition became that the firstborn was particularly to serve the Lord in all kinds of ways. But actually sacrificing this is outrageous, surely. And it may be that the reason the story is particularly recorded is precisely the fact that in the end, Abraham didn't sacrifice his son. Well, there are plenty of examples in history of people doing more or less that. In the wars of the 20th century, perhaps a classic example of how People sacrifice their sons and so often their daughters as well to fight, to die, supposedly for God, an offering to God. That seems very strange. And then we can't help noticing the parallels between that story of Abraham taking Isaac off to be sacrificed and the story of Jesus going to his death Abraham with the servants going so far quite a long journey by the sound of it several days journey and Abraham says to the servants just wait here that reminds you of Jesus saying to his disciples wait here while I pray, while I go on alone with my father. And they waited, and the servants waited. As Isaac and Jesus went on to their deaths. Even to the point where the Old Testament story makes a point about saying that the wood was laid on Isaac's shoulder. That scares me, I don't know about you. The cross was laid on Jesus' shoulder. He carried it to a place, the place of execution. And in different ways, of course, the story ended rather differently from what you were supposed to expect. Jesus, quite some time later, rose from the dead. 
Isaac was spared and went on to produce two more children who squabbled like fury. We can learn a lot, can we not, from that story. But I wonder how Abraham felt when he discerned the call from God to give up all that God seemed to have given him so far. His Isaac was a great gift in his old age. There he was being told, give him up, give him back. What have I let myself in for? He must have thought, surely. What have I let myself in for? And we wonder even whether Jesus was thinking something similar. We don't know, of course. But many a Christian has found that following God leads you unexpectedly to things that can only be seen as pretty thoroughly bad. What have I let myself in for? And plenty of people, of course, turn away at that stage and think, well, it can't be that bad. Let me go on with my normal life for a bit and things will get better. It'll sort itself out. And that's precisely the kind of attitude that Paul is so much against when he writes to the Romans. Because as he says, you've got a choice. He's not trying to deny that following, following God leads to all sorts of problems. He lists them at one stage. How many shipwrecks was it that he was involved in? And so on. How many times did he get stoned? It wasn't an easy life that he'd opted for. But this was him following God. And the alternative, he says, is to follow your own way. To believe that earning a bit more money is going to make the difference. To believe that somebody can really help you in a different way from the way God is pushing you. And we can see that working out, can't we, in so much of life. Have you sometimes found that watching the television, a drama or a soap, you're thinking, how can that person be so stupid? Can't they see what's coming up? Someone is caught in a great cycle of going from bad to worse because they're thinking wrongly for themselves all the time. What, what am I going to gain? I can't get away from that group. I can't not face the past that I've been involved in. I just have to go on a little bit 
gradually they get sucked under. I expect you can all think of examples of characters that you've watched do that on the television. Sadly, many of us can think of examples of people that have lived that out in real life. They're nice people, they're good people. They've just got things wrong sometimes, and it drags them down. And surely many of us have found that happen a bit in our own lives. We've accepted something, it's gone wrong, and it lives with us forever. It affects our behaviour. We fail to realise that it's because of something pretty basic inside us, which is the fundamental assumptions we make in our lives. How do you control things in life? How do you break out into a better life? And yes, we've all committed ourselves to following God. How much does that follow through into everyday life? What do we think? Well, yes, the, the right thing to do is, is this but. Let's have a look at what the world thinks. I ought to do this, but I haven't got the ability, the energy, the, the money to do that. So I'll do something a bit less. Very easy for us to slip into the ways of the world and the ways of God. And the way St. Paul puts it is quite simply that there was a, a dramatic choice. Either way, we're slaves. You can be slaves of sin in the kind of way I'm been trying to describe or you can be slaves of righteousness which do you want to be you can't be a follower of God and sometimes do the things that the world wants you to do sometimes it'll be the same things yes but deep down What's at root? That's the question that he asks of the Romans, of each one of us. And he knows which way he's going. Because he says the, the wages of sin, the message translated that as the pension, what are you going to get at the end of all this? You're going to die, that's what. That's where the world's going. Death. That's what we'll get to unless deep down we're committed to the Almighty, to God in Jesus. And that commitment isn't expressed through sheer effort. 
It's expressed in openness to the Spirit of God. And that's a critical difference. Because we all find it's quite hard to do what's right. Sometimes. And what should we do? Most of us would try harder, I guess. Big mistake. Realise how little I can do that's good and right and the will of God. And realise that all the time I depend on the strength, on the spirit of God. That's the kind of commitment that Paul encourages in the Roman church. And his words have been preserved for us so that we too can feel that commitment, that knowledge. If we go the way of the world, we find ourselves with a pension. And our bank balance will have the word zero in it every, every month, so to speak. But if we go the way of God, depending on him, filled with his spirit, we'll get paid, so to speak. Eternal life, real life, real life with God through Jesus Christ. Will forgive us readily for all the times that we've gone the way of the world, receives us, however weak we are, however feeble-minded, however much we've strayed in the past. If at root that's our commitment, what we get is life with him eternally. And in the meantime, stick with it. Very often that's in very simple ways. And that surely is what the gospel reading this morning is about. Whoever gives a cup as much as a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple will receive their reward. Do their little thing. A cup of cold water is probably bigger than in those days than it is now, but You've got the point. We do little things for people that are significant. We do little, little things in moments in history which are significant. And you do them right. And that is you going on the way of God. Walking, if you like, the path to heaven. It can be very simple, but it's very basic. Do not let sin have any say in what you do, but always offer your whole lives to God. You're not offering your life in the way that Isaac had to, under duress, but nonetheless offering the whole of what you are, of what you will be to God 
knowing that what you will be is so much better than we can imagine. The life of God's kingdom with Jesus Christ, our Lord.